So, uh, did you hear about the guy who went to a, a job interview, and uh, he was asked, so would you describe yourself as responsible? And he said, oh, sure. Back at my old job, whenever something went wrong, I was always responsible. That's kind of an old one. You know, when you're, you're newly married, there are only two people in the house, so you can't really get away with anything. Uh, growing up, you know, even though I'm an only child, I didn't have any siblings, if my mom asked who, who was responsible for this, for something, it was possible that I didn't do it because there was, it was my dad. It could have been either one of us, right? This week, uh, my wife found an opened can of corn in the cupboard rather than in the refrigerator. And, uh, and I said, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember putting that there. But, but she knows that she didn't put it there. So... There's only one, one person left, so it had to have been me, I guess. Uh, actually, this story has a lot to do with what I want to talk about today. The question is, who is responsible? Who is responsible for redemption? Us or Hashem? You see, there are tensions in Scripture. Two truths, sometimes, which pull at each other, but they're both true simultaneously. And often these truths cannot be fully resolved with one another. They exist together in tension. For example, God is both infinite and intimate. You know, he's, he's infinitely big, but he's also close to us. He can be near. How can God be, be both unknowably awesome and majestic and at the same time be present with us, be near to those who call on him? So this is kind of a tension in Scripture. So the one I'm talking about today is illustrated by two stories which surround us today. What are the two stories which surround us? We have one we just did, which was Purim. And we have the story coming up, which is Pesach, Passover, right. See, currently we're actually exactly in the middle between these two stories. We're, today is the beginning of the month of Nisan. So Purim was 15 days ago, and Passover is in 15 days from now. So, so we're going to look at the story, these two stories, and we're going to decide if we can answer the question, who is responsible for redemption? In the, in the Purim story, God's name is never mentioned. The Jewish people are saved by the actions of other people. Esther shows discretion by not revealing her Jewish heritage right away. She shows humility in approaching the king. She shows faith in prayer and fasting. And Mordecai shows character and integrity by refusing to bow to Haman. He shows loyalty by saving the king from a murder plot. So nowhere in the text does it say that God rescued the Jewish people from annihilation. So, was it all due to human endeavors? Is it all up to us? Now, in the Passover story, we find the exact opposite. In fact, in the Haggadah, which is the telling of the Passover story we recite during the Seder, there's another name that is never mentioned. Do you know whose name is never mentioned? Any guesses? Moses. Moses is never mentioned even once in the Haggadah traditionally. And this is to highlight the amazing redemption from slavery that 
God wrought on our behalf. It says, with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, he split the Red Sea. This act is so important that it becomes part of the identity, the definition of God, and the definition of the Israelites. 22 times in the Tanakh, God refers to himself like this. For example, the first time is in Exodus 20, verse 2. And this is what he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is how God identifies himself. As, as he says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of slavery, who redeemed you. Moreover, the Israelites are defined by this saving act as a redeemed people, a people who are no longer slaves, a people who follow Torah. This quote from Exodus 22 that I just read, it comes right before a very important part of Scripture. It comes right before the Ten Commandments. So he says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So you should not worship idols. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, so you should keep Shabbat, and so on. In other words, God is saying, this is who I am, a redeeming God, so this is who you should be, a redeemed people. This is who I am, so this is who you should be. So what part did the Israelites play in bringing themselves out of Egypt, based on this? It seems like they played no part in their own redemption. God's mighty hand, he himself brought them out. So here we have it, two redemption stories, 15 15 days ago and 15 days from now. But which is the true picture of redemption? We were saved from Haman, but all due to human effort. And we were saved from Egypt, but it was all due to God's effort. Or do we need to take a closer look at these stories? In the Purim story, even though God is not explicitly mentioned, we see God's invisible hand working behind the scenes. The Kairos moment that I mentioned in my last sermon, where Queen Esther is in a position to save her people if she approaches the king, this is a God-appointed moment. God often works through coincidences and situations of our lives behind the scenes, but it doesn't make him any less real. When I think about my life, I know Hashem has led me to the right people at the right time for his purpose. Can you think of times like this in your life where God worked behind the scenes to bring you to the right place at the right time? I see a lot of you are nodding, right? We recognize that God works this way. The best example that I have uh, is the redemptive act of meeting and becoming friends with my wife. This was something that I could never have orchestrated, never have planned on my own, but something that God did at the right time. As Tevye says in Fiddler on the Roof about his daughter and her intended, he says this, he's kind of uh, debating with himself, and he says, uh, he loves her, love, it's a new style. On the other hand, our old ways were once new, weren't they? On the other hand, They decided without parents, without a matchmaker. On the other hand, did Adam and Eve have a matchmaker? Well, yes, they did. It seems these two have the same matchmaker. Unquote. So I would add that uh, Sonia and I have the same matchmaker as well. 
as uh, Muttel, the tailor, does. So anyways, in the context of, of the story of Esther, we can see it was not all human endeavor, right? But the invisible hand of God behind it. So now we turn to the Passover story. Was this all God's doing, the redemption work? Well, in a sense, we understand that God works through Moses. God could have parted the Red Sea himself, but he asked Moses to hold up his staff in order to part it. Hashem could have gone to Pharaoh himself, but he asks Moses to go to him to ask him to let his people go. Even the ultimate redemption, where God passes over the houses of the Israelites to spare their firstborn from death, the people had a part to play, right? They had to participate in faith by placing the blood of the lamb on the door. So what responsibility do we have to bring redemption to the world, and what responsibility does God have? In fact, based on these two stories, Purim and Pesach, I believe we both have 100% responsibility. Now, I, I know that adds up to 200%, which doesn't really work mathematically, but it seems that's the way it works in Scripture. In other words, we partner with God for the redemption of the world. For us to say, well, God is not going to heal the world, so we have to do it instead, this is pride. Everything that we do, Hashem has enabled us to do it. Daniel says this to Belshazzar, um, who is one of the kings. Um, he exalts himself against God, and Daniel is a prophet, and this is what he says to him. Uh, this is in Daniel chapter 5, verses 20 through 23. But when your father grew proud and his spirit became hard, he began treating people arrogantly. So he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven from human society. His heart was made like that of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed with grass like an ox and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he learned that the most high God rules in the human kingdom and sets up over it whomever he pleases. Right? So this is a lesson that, that God taught um, this king's father. But Belshazzar, you, his son, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. You knew what happened to your dad. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven by having them bring you the vessels from his house. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. So that basically they used the, the holy vessels to have this party. Uh, holy vessels from the house of God. Um, you offered praise to your gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which can't see, hear, or know anything. Meanwhile, God, the true God, who holds your very breath in his hands. Let's say that together. Who holds your very breath in his hands, and to whom, every, to whom belongs everything you do, you have not glorified. So, can we really do anything without God to heal this world? No, for he holds our very breath in his hands. But on the other hand, we should not allow this to cause us to be passive, to say, well, God will help his people himself, so I don't have to do anything, right? That's not the right way either. The book of Yaakov, or James, 2 verses 14 through 17, puts it like this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith 
but has no actions to prove it. Is such faith able to save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and someone says to him, Shalom, keep warm and eat hearty, without giving him what he needs, what good does it do? Thus, faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. So, whose responsibility is it to oppose evil, like Haman, or Pharaoh, or Hitler? Who should help the poor? Who should pray for the sick? Who should show compassion to those who need it? Who should work for the redemption of this world, for the restoration of this world, for renewal and healing and life? We should. But who enables us to do all of these things? Hashem. It is us working together with Hashem that brings redemption to a hurting world. But there is not just evil in the world that we have to worry about. As the Apostle Shaul describes it, there is another battle within us, just as fierce as the battle between Pharaoh's army and the Israelites. And that is the inclination to do good and the inclination to do harm, yetzer hara. In Romans 7, 15, verses 25, Shaul puts it like this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I do what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law or the Torah is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, the yetzer hara. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. He's describing this battle. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, God's Torah. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the Torah of my mind and making me prisoner of the Torah of sin, the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. So whose responsibility is it to save us from this battle, the battle of the heart, to save us from harmful choices, to choose good and to choose life, to choose to help others, to choose to worship God? I would argue that the same dynamic is at work as in the first problem. It is 100% our responsibility to choose good and 100% God's responsibility to save us from the evil nature or the yetzer hara. Eve's son Cain was jealous of Abel and his offering. And Hashem speaks to Cain, tries to encourage him this way in Genesis 4 verses 6 through 7. This is what he says. Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must what? Rule over it. 
desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Other translations say you must overcome it. In other words, God tells Cain that it is his responsibility to overcome his evil nature. Unfortunately, he does not do this, and he murders his brother Abel. Nevertheless, he is still responsible for his hate and his jealousy, for the actions that resulted from his sin. But the redemption of ourselves is like the tension of the redemption of the world. It's a partnership with God. We are both 100% responsible. Without our agency, God is not going to act because we have free will to choose good or not to. But without God, we cannot save ourselves from the evil inclination. After King David has Uriel killed and he runs off with his wife, Bathsheba, he repents. And then he writes the following psalm, which is Psalm 51, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 12. Truly, I was born guilty, was a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. You see the same struggle. Still, you want truth in the inner person, so make me know wisdom in my inmost heart. Sprinkle me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the sound of joy and gladness, so that the bones you crushed can rejoice. Turn your face, turn away your face from my sins, and blot out all my crimes. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew in me a resolute spirit. Don't thrust me away from your presence. Don't take your Ruach Kodesh away from me. Restore my joy in your salvation, and let a willing spirit uphold me. In other words, only Hashem can enable us to do the right thing, even though it is 100% our responsibility. In closing, I want to leave us with the words of Job. In the longing for redemption and the ease of his immense suffering, Job utters this in chapter 9, verses 32 through 34. He says, God is not a mere mortal like me, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Job here is recognizing the evil and suffering in the world and in his own life. And he's wrestling with the tension of who is responsible for bringing him out of that. He longs for someone that could mediate between himself and God. Someone that could represent God and humankind. Someone that could solve this problem of his suffering. Redeem his life from the pit. Someone who would know what it's like to be human, but have the heart and the power of God to redeem us from evil. Someone who could sympathize with us in our weakness against sin, but empower us to overcome sin. For those of us who trust in Yeshua the Messiah, we can say along with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen? All right. Let's pray.